Hello, 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 everyone. My name is Derek, as usual, and welcome to the Killbox podcast. Today, we have a very special episode because I am joined by game developer Cody Pondsmith from Artaz Lorian Games. You could say hi. Hey, everybody. Hey, just, uh, it is, it is Artelsorian, but, uh, we're good. Artelsorian. Didn't make it easy on anybody. Artelsorian. Artelsorian. Okay. Good to know I've yeah. been that wrong for a lot of years. We didn't make it easy on anybody. No, you definitely did not. So how are you doing today, man? Oh, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I, I just, uh, finished doing a ton of, uh, of edit input on uh, on cyberpunk red actually so uh yeah yeah it's absolutely mind-numbing work but the but the uh, the material is good well and i'm pretty sure it's not easy because you guys are uh getting closer and closer to i believe you guys wanted to launch this month whether or not that's actually um, happening or not who knows Unfortunately, between uh, between gosh, COVID and the pushback on on the delay on twenty seventy seven, and the all of the the protests and riots in sort of our neck of the woods, it is has made sticking to our previous schedules a little difficult. No, uh, that's perfectly understandable, and I'm sure a lot of people are sad, but definitely agree that the more time spent on it to polish it, the better. Oh yeah. So uh you want to make sure it's up to spec. Oh, definitely. I guess the a good uh place to start and I know it, you've probably gotten this uh a lot, but uh what's it like to grow up with one of the greatest and influential game designers of the tabletop world? I mean, I guess I'm going to be selling Mike he's selling Mike out here a little bit, but uh, you know, I, I grew up with him as just my dad, you know. So uh, you know, I be in games that he ran and and stuff like that. You know, I it's been it's been kind of an interesting one because you know I have this very different uh, sort of outlook on the whole situation because, like I said, I just grew up with him as my dad, but you know it. It is a little interesting because I sort of uh, we we're a family business mostly. We have brought people in from from sort of the outside, but you know, at core, when it started, it was it was you know me, Mike, Lisa, and you know whoever would help from the direct you know uh, you know people around the family. Uh, so I'd say sort of the biggest influence has just been that I grew up in tabletop role playing with game designers, learning game design and and tabletop role playing since I was you know really really young. You know, I, I was I was uh, in games when I was like a toddler, <laughs> like crazy young. Yeah, that's and that kind of led into my next. So you had no since you grew up with all that around you, you had no real aspirations to be anything else but a tabletop game designer uh, growing up. Or- I, I mean, like I had, you know, I, I had the obvious like want to be a firefighter when I was young or whatever, you know, all, all that stuff. And I had a while where I wanted to be a marine biologist, and then I wanted to do you know stage prop work. But you know, we. Uh, Mike always always used to say to me, 
<laughs> the key the key to life is to is to find out what you love to do and then con someone into paying you to do it. <laughs> and uh, I I design role playing games and play role playing games in my spare time as that's just what I do. So uh, you know it's it's almost always been sort of at the core of what I figured I was going to be doing. It, it sounds like you're living the dream almost. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff I didn't expect, but uh, yeah. I mean, that comes with every job, essentially. But yeah. Yes. Uh, what's your favorite part working on? Because your first major project from what I was studying up on was the Witcher TR- TTRPG. Or were you yeah. working on like helping your dad out with any smaller projects before that? I, Witcher TTRPG was the first one I I was the head on. I had done some, uh, you know, I just done some some work here and there, uh, helping out with stuff on some other projects. Um, you know, uh, some stuff on some very minor stuff on on V three, just sort of helping get everything set up. Uh, some stuff on the Mechcon stuff that we're still working on, but Witcher TTRPG was the was like the first time I was really like on a project. Yeah. And uh, to answer your question, it's it's probably uh, it's the the midpoint sort of development. Because the the really early development, you have to work out how you're going to make the core the core game work, and that can be fun, but it, it can be pretty difficult as well. Especially if you're you know like Witcher, trying to adapt one system to fit another system. Um, and endpoint development is uh, a a <laughs> burning hellscape of iteration where you change things back and forth by one or two uh one or two points until it fits just right uh which you know it's part of the process there's always a part of the process that's less fun than the others but uh midpoint midpoint development is that point where you have all of the core concepts put together and you haven't gotten to iteration to make everything absolutely fit, you know, no matter what the playtesters try to do to break it. It's that point where you can decide, like, all right, now that I know how the magic system works, this is where I can decide what the spells are. And like this is where I decide, you know, what what bone bonuses and abilities uh, you know, professions have and stuff like that. It's the really like hardcore creative work. On top of the hardcore research into the world that you were writing about how long did it take you between playing games reading books and all the other media of the witcher did you spend before you even wanted to take on the project i was i was extremely lucky because i had uh i had lisa as my as my sort of co-author sort of as my co-author on witcher trpg because um I played through Witcher 2, I played through Witcher 3, um, I played Witcher 1, and, you know, got all of sort of the video game stuff, and then I was sort of absorbing as much as I could from the outside of that, you know, reading some of the early comics that came out and stuff like that, um, spending a ridiculous amount of time with the, the super wild part about The Witcher, which I'm kind of hoping will get, kind of get remedied, um, as we progress is just that when we were working on the Witcher TTRPG, 
the, the fandom and the franchise was so tremendously fractured that it was very hard to source reliable information because, you know, we had books and we had other groupings of books. We had fan written books. We had television shows from Poland. We had TVs for uh, movies from Poland. We had comics from Poland. We had comics from dark horse. We had, um, the witcher video games so there's all of these things but the wild part was that you know in that sort of in the past as it were they weren't very well connected so you had to like sort of pick and choose with what you could source and what you know in the books it says this but in the video games it says this what are we going to do and and we didn't want to entirely throw out any one you know we didn't want to entirely throw out any one lore so we tried as much as possible to make books and the video games, which are kind of the two biggest sections of the franchise, merge as much as possible into one sort of canon lore so that we could kind of bring everybody in sort of relatively no matter what they had experienced. But I, I have to give I actually give a tremendous amount of credit to Lisa because I was on, you know, video games and, and other other uh you know so the franchise, but Lisa just jumped headfirst into the books and she sat down over the course of months and read through all books, cover to cover, uh, took extensive highlighter notes in all of the books for all the information that we thought we might even possibly need to reference at some point. She at one point sat down and made a tremendous list of all of the uh, all of the monsters that were mentioned in the books and stuff like that. So between the two of us, we had this weird sort of compiling phase that actually sort of happened like just before I made the pitch to CD to, you know, several, several months into the, uh, into the project. Also, because at the time we started, uh, I think at least two or three of the, of Sapkowski's novels had not been translated to English yet. Oh, wow. So we couldn't we couldn't really reference those until they got translated to English. And I'm sure picking and choosing from certain media was more or less more difficult because I'm sure a lot of the fans didn't want to see the blonde wig from the crappy Polish show or anything like that. It's it's a, it, it was kind of interesting because it it did you did have to kind of decide where you made you made the choices and also where you could merge things because luckily the video games we're dealing mostly with video games and the books and luckily the video games take place after the books yes so we could there were a lot of points where we could kind of say well it happens this way in the books and then at some point between the books and the video games it changed like there was just an event or something that happened to make this fact change between those two points you know the march of time as it were and now that you've had your first expansion come out and also we've had the Netflix show come out, has that show given you any ideas on things you want to work with or anything of that we're, sort? We're in a weird place because we're still kind of figuring out where everything was because while things have kind of uh, like so congealed a lot more, which is part of what I was looking at. You know, when the fir- when we were working on a lot of the earlier Witcher stuff, when they first announced the Netflix TV show, that was kind of in a time when 
know, for lack of a better description, uh, CDPR and Sapkowski's work were still extremely separate. And the TV show was based mostly on Sapkowski's work. So we were in this weird place of like, it's Witcher, but it's there's like such a bright line between the Witcher we're doing and the Witcher they're doing. Cause you know, of course we're working with CDPR. Yeah. But I think we, we have a bit more leeway in some places to kind of look at that more for inspiration. You know, I, I need to talk to Lisa specifically about certain things, but like we, we are moving into, I think almost like a, a golden age for the Witcher franchise where all the disparate parts are kind of merging together so that we can look at all of them rather than having to pick and choose as much. It is. And that's definitely a cooler thing now that everything is kind of culminating and, um, of course, we can't talk about 2077, but there is rumors that CDPR does want to talk, uh, is in the works of possibly doing a new Witcher game after 2077 is completed in development and uh, things of that sort. So that would lead to cool new material as well. Yeah. Uh, what would your thoughts be on like probably doing a new bestiary or things of that sort? Because I know you included one in your main rule book, uh, something that I bought almost on the spot. And to uh, kind of like how Dungeons and Dragons runs things or Pathfinder, where you have a separate book dedicated to monsters and lore for things of that sort. Just we actually, we actually, uh, you're, you're tremendously in luck. Um, we actually are uh, receiving the first copies of a Witcher's Journal, uh, a Witcher's Journal, which will be our, uh, our bestiary for Witcher uh, oh, on sometime this next couple weeks we uh we sent it off to print uh, a little bit ago and it's actually it's a tremendously exciting one because we kind of knew that we had to do a, we, we, you've got to do a monster manual for witcher you know there's no way you can um but witcher's journal is an interesting one because we tried to sort of um tie it into the the larger world and give more than maybe just some monsters. So it's, it is a, uh, it brings in, uh, brings in 33 new monsters, um, which are all fleshed out the way they were, except a little bit more fleshed out in some places as they were in basically the back of the core book. Uh, we get to talk about some good good favorites from the video games like Bulvors and Rot Fiends and stuff like that. But we also brought in some new ones. Um, then ones that have only kind of been mentioned like Barbagazi uh, and the Vendigo and stuff like that. A lot of uh, sort of creatures that got mentioned or got sort of shown maybe once or twice in the books of the TV show or the, uh, or the video games. Um, and then... The section I'm particularly excited about, I'm very curious to see how people implement, which is that we have two monsters at the back, which we are sort of referring to as our exceptional monsters, which are higher, higher vampires and true dragons. Because, you know, we wanted to talk about these because they're, they're tremendous, you know, monsters in the Witcher franchise. But at the same time, they're so incredibly dangerous and so far beyond most of the monsters that you encounter. So we wanted to give them their own category, which we talk about. We talk about the fact that, you know, these are designed to be uh, NPCs in your game. You know, you, you will never roll that your players in randomly encounter a higher vampire because so, so you can never, they will probably them. die. Yeah. 
in no blood and wine situations. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, they're there to be worked into the plot or used as side characters that your characters can encounter. And to that end, they actually are the only two monsters set up at the moment who have actual uh, character generation rules with them. So you get a, a baseline set of statistics for what the average higher vampire or the average true dragon is. And then you make a series of roles, much like our life path system for characters, that tell you, like, what color is the dragon? And, uh, you know, all the way down to, like, what is its personality like? What does it value? What, what are its hobbies? You know, it, it allows you to flesh out that character so that you can use that character in the game sort of as an overall um, you know, NPC. And we give suggestions like, you know, your players could could find out that the, uh, the sort of shadowy underworld organization they've been working for is actually in itself working for a, a brown dragon located in a lair outside the city. Or... Your players could, you know, come into a town and find out that there's this big, you know, like, sort of, uh, you know, Capulets and Montagues, like, noble uh, feud and find out that at the heads of those families are higher vampires. And you're not necessarily going to immediately go, okay, I'm going to oil up my sword and and knock back my potions and immediately go fight these things. You're going to go, okay, so can't, unless I'm crazy powerful i've got relic weapons and you know everybody's super jacked up i'm not gonna like run in and fight them so i have to find a way to sort of deal with them and figure out how to deal with these tremendously powerful creatures it opens a lot of options for sort of plot points and role-playing options that is absolutely incredible Um, and and the last part Go ahead. Yeah, no. Go ahead. The last part, the the part that I'm really excited about is um, we we talked with CDPR, and one of the big things we wanted to do here was we wanted to open up some possibilities for sort of further stuff in the Witcher world. And one of the things that, you know, a lot of people have been super curious about, but there really isn't much information for, is the origins of Witcher's and the the order of witches, the big order of witches that existed before the different schools. So all of a witcher's journal is prefaced as sort of the internal fiction of the book is that it is compiled notes from these journals um, from a, an ancient witcher um, who was effectively one of the first witches to be mutated and the founder of the Griffin School. Um, and... This witcher, uh, Erland of Larvik, basically after the fall of the Griffin School, wrote down all of his all of his experiences and his his notes and his you know memories of fighting monsters into this series of journals that he then effectively sort of spread out into the world, so that even if all because you know at the fall of the at the, of the Witcher schools, the assumption was that all the witches were going to die. So the assumption would be, you know, he put out these these journals so that even if the humans wiped out all the witchers because the witchers had done their job and wiped out most of the monsters, when the monsters came back, humans would at least have some knowledge of how to fight them. 
Um, so we actually have an introduction in a witcher's journal where through Erlen's eyes, we get to see like what life was like before witchers were a thing. We get to see what the first training of witchers was like through Erlen's eyes as he was, you know, picked up by um, mages and taken to uh, the the initial place of sort of the creation of witchers, what the sort of development of the witcher training was like, and then what it was like to be a witcher in a world where there had never been witchers before and there were so many monsters that people actually needed witchers a lot more. Um, and then we've got a whole bunch of stuff about like how the how the Witcher Order eventually sort of dissolves and the sort of messy breaking off of a bunch of the Witcher schools and stuff like that. That's incredible. And that's news I'm very excited to be hearing. Uh, is there any type of release window that you guys have uh, been figuring out if you have uh, prints coming your way? Um, we are... We previously uh, stated we were looking at end of June. Um, we are still we are still effectively setting up a a, uh, a street date, but it will be it will be basically sort of middle to end of June from everything we've we've gathered. That is awesome. All right, guys, you heard that middle to the end of June we will be having Witcher journals in our hands, and that is something I'm very excited to be reading. And uh, I guess next topic to be uh, kind of focusing on is I think the big thing that's been sitting at our footsteps that everybody's been wanting to talk about and has been talking about for, oh gosh, what, the last year and a half now? Um, Cyberpunk Red. Yes. Go ahead. Before we really get into the big neck of things, how does Cyberpunk Red differ as a project uh, compared to Witcher? Because I, I feel in general there is a little bit more of a stigma in terms how the lore and the universe and how Red will play because V3 was handled. It wasn't received the best. I, I could put it that way. Oh. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's, it's interesting because overall, you know, I've speaking on v3 here this is my personal opinion um it's it's an interesting one because a lot of what a lot of what made v3 you know very much not you know what people were were looking for was in the 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 lore of the the game itself there's a lot to there's there's a lot to go into there um and I think Mike has has gone and done a whole a whole evaluation of sort of why it didn't work and and you know why things were done in that form, um, but it's it's interesting because it was very much sort of a a look at how to maintain lore as it were. Um, red is so red is okay so top end. Uh, Red basically takes place in the the recovery after uh, the fourth corporate war, and we're kind of working to keep everything that felt cyberpunk moving forward, move it forward enough so that you know it's not uh, you know giant blocky cell phones and and stuff like that. 
sort of maintain the flow so that the vibe can carry through all the way to 2077. Um, it's, it's kind of different than Witcher because in Witcher, they, the, the accumulation of lore in Witcher is just straight up. We take, you know, as much as possible, we find lore, we take lore, we input the lore. And, you know, we tried to make new stuff as little as possible. The theory was on the Witcher TRPG was we, we just want to start out by giving people the world and the lore. You know, in, in places we add to it, but we add to it in ways, in, in sort of places where it needs it, like uh, information on the vassals of Nilfgaard and stuff like that. We knew that people were going to want to play in Nilfgaard and stuff like that. Um, but the difference on, on Red is that it is less that we're taking the lore from somewhere else and putting it in, and more that we have this wealth of background lore, and we have this now wealth of future lore with 2077 because they happen in the same timeline. And the, the task is really more to sort of take those two points and sort of figure out what the midpoint would be Kind of moving all the old lore forward and trying to kind of preface for the for the future lore. So it's it's actually a lot more of just sort of uh, going over and trying to figure out logically, like a lot of a lot of the feel, a lot of the stuff in red comes from logically what would happen after the fourth corporate war. You know, we're talking about uh, a a like tremendously tremendously sort of catastrophic war we're talking about a war where you know nukes went off uh large rocks were dropped from orbit onto uh onto cities and things like that armies armies clashed in the streets of cities with you know really advanced cyberware and stuff like that we're kind of talking about a world that is recovering from that and we we tried really hard to make sure that it's not it's not a post post apocalypse. You know, it's not like everything has been destroyed, and you know you're you're living out of your car and driving from one destroyed city to another. It's just a world that is getting past a major war, a war that has sort of touched everything. And um, I think it was even stated in like, the World Book of the Gemstar Kit where it was. Uh... I believe the war ended with a pocket nuke going off in the Arasaka Tower of Night City, or something along yes. those lines. Uh, in the time of Red, has that tower been rebuilt, or is that area of the middle section of the Night City map now just a crater? So how will... Like, Wait, instance, when, I, when I GM my upcoming game, how will I implement that nuke and like destroyed area? Going off. So the way it the way it generally worked out is that the the nuke went off, basically blew up a large chunk of the corporate center, and uh, scattered fallout throughout that whole area. So as Night City kind of rebuilt from that sort of situation, um, the corporate center itself kind of got moved a bit. So the what you would know as the corporate center from 2020 is now. Um, you know, some parts of it are starting to get rebuilt, but it, it's hindered a bit by the fact that it has only really sort of 
or recently become safe to enter that environment and you still do have to sort of deal with the radioactive fallout from the nuke. You know, it's much smaller, but it's still sort of there in places, which makes it sort of difficult to uh, to rebuild. So a lot of Night City gets sort of reshifted around this sort of what has been for many years sort of a no-go zone in the city until sort of the, the half-lives come up and people can kind of go into it safely. So it's um, still uh, very much and- a demilitarized zone then? Yeah, a lot of a lot of that area is still is still sort of demilitarized. We talk uh, a fair amount about basically uh, the fact that you can go into areas like that and areas like the combat zone uh, and sort of scavenge for stuff. You can sort of find stuff from. Uh, you know, from the war, as it were, as, it, as you know, some pieces may not have been picked clean by scavengers willing to go into the dangerous territories and stuff like that. But the city itself has sort of moved on and sort of built itself out in a, not like an entirely new form, but sort of it has it has rebuilt itself in other other configurations. Uh weird side weird question will we be seeing any mutants come out of the radioactive zone um we will not at the moment we will not at the moment be seeing any mutants come out of the radioactive zone uh, um i can't say 100 percent on certain things because you know uh a lot of this lives in mike's head but as far as we have talked about in the book I've not seen anything. I, I don't think we're going to get, you know, Fallout Super Mutants. Um, but we've got a lot of, we've got some fun stuff to, to take some of those places in uh, the the work of Biotechnica, the big um, biological firm that is currently mostly taking up residence in the Pacifica Confed up in like Northern California and Oregon and Washington who are starting to re-bioengineer animals that have been extinct or almost extinct and stuff like that so maybe possible future chimeras and things of that sort weird animal i i can't necessarily speak to it because i know that mike has some plans but i uh, i can't say much all right that's still good to know uh knowing that things have been moved slightly and uh it's going to be interesting how that plays out when everybody uh touches uh way down further in the timeline how that affects night city's map in 2077 where people can kind of see a 3d visualization instead of uh what's in their imaginations yeah uh, per se um going through with it uh you guys started from the beginning and i think what was it 2020 came out in the late 80s and what um 2020 was the 90s um 2013 i believe was 80s 80s. what was your dad need to check with jay on those dates but (laughs) go ahead what was your dad's reason and uh your guys's reason to stick with the uh the d10 d6 system instead of moving into a uh a full dice system because i've been saying Um, it's the best system to get into if you want to try ttrpgs i just it's very interesting to stick with uh, such a s- simple system where it limits your characters it's, in certain it, ways. 
it is very much designed to be a simple system. Um, we one of the nice things that a D10 gives us as compared to a D20 is a lot more. Um, there's there's a certain bit more uh, sort of spread of action because there's less uh, sort of spread of numbers. You know, the likelihood that you're going to get a critical or a fumble is higher than it would be on a 20, which keeps it kind of interesting. It gives it that sort of high randomization feel, but like anything can happen, that kind of vibe. Um, and the the using D6s almost entirely for damage just comes out of the fact that it's D6s are easy to get. You always know if my if I'm throwing a weapon, it will it will do some amount of d6s. And in uh, in red, we moved away from modifiers to that to just it, ro- it rolls a number of d6s. So trying to keep combat, you know, fast. You know, you just I hit them. I roll three d6. That's it. Um, and in my in my opinion, sort of my personal view on it, it. It cuts down to just you know what you need. I need two D tens and at least sixty sixes. That's that is what I need. I, I don't have weird points where like I bought a whole set of dice, but I'm I'm you know playing a character that only uses D twenties, D sixes, and D fours. So I have a whole bunch of dice that I just don't use. Um. So that's kind of. As I see it, that's kind of the the, the impetus to to stay on D10 and D6. I I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the D10, D6 system. Uh, I'm currently in a Warhammer Rogue Trader game, and the percentage of success system Mm -hmm. sucks to a high degree. Yeah. Uh, So it's it's a system that is beloved by many, and it's, it's proven succession over many years. So... Uh, moving on, and you mentioned touch base on weapons. Uh, with certain things, will you guys be expanding on, because you guys had Black Hand's Weapons Guide for 2020 and uh, things of that sort, will uh, we be seeing very familiar weapons make a comeback, or will we be seeing uh, a new flux of new weapons coming in, replacing them? So... Uh... We are kind of striking a balance in that a lot of um, we'll see a lot of a lot of familiar weapons coming back in the core book. Um, you know, there's there's ones that we obviously can't not have, like the Malorian arms, and uh, you know some of the others um, that we'll have in the core book. And then we'll also see some interesting um, sort of further developments on some of the weapons that you saw in 2020. Um, as sort of we have moved that like 20 years into the future and we're now sort of seeing new developments on those old weapons and we'll also be in some supplements that we're working on be bringing in a whole bunch of, of new weapons new cyberware uh, some new some new weapons corporations that are sort of springing up during the time of the red um, and there's there's a lot of stuff. Um, we talked previously about the fact that we are uh, we are in development as we're working on uh, as we're working on Red. We're also doing some some sort of preliminary work on a new Chromebook 
Um, so I've seen a lot of the stuff in that book, and there's some very interesting new stuff coming up. I am very excited to see. The Chromebooks were always my favorite things to kind of fumble through along with Black Hand's Guide. So that's that's very good to hear. Uh, will, so you're in the very early stages of the Chromebook. Will that be launching a few months, or will it be releasing relatively close to uh, the release of the core rulebook? It's difficult to say exactly. Um, I unfortunately do not really have authorization to speculate on a time frame, but um, <clears throat> it is it is in development and going pretty smoothly. That's about as much as I can say at the moment. I'm pretty sure we'll take what we can get. <laughs> um, what is all right? Then I guess I should move it to this question. Then, what is your if you do have the authorization? What is your favorite weapon that is? that you like personally uh that is being brought into red oh favorite weapon that i favorite weapon brought into red um mm, that's that's kind of a difficult one um so i think i would have to say in sort of the category of a bunch of stuff that we're sort of some of the stuff that we're sort of bringing in from uh, from back from 2020, uh, we have uh, you may be familiar the um, the Rhine Metal Railgun, the Rhine Metal, Metal EMG 86 Railgun. Um, we've got some very interesting railgun rules that uh, that we worked on with uh, with our uh, one of our, our designers, James Hutt. Um, and I, I, I like that one just as something about a good railgun. But I, I admit that actually the thing I'm the thing I'm most excited for is not a new weapon. It's just a, a new option, which is I've become obsessed with the fact that for for core book we have we have. Um, Shotguns with with uh, you know spread shells, and you can also buy uh, special ammunition for things, including incendiary ammunition for shotguns. Just I love the concept of having an incendiary uh, spread shot shotgun. Yes, uh, Dragon's Breath is always a fun thing to use in a in a game of this type or caliber. Um, personal, I ran an assassin type, so would it be? Would we be seeing uh, the return of? Oh, I'm trying to remember the name. The I think it was called the Bang Blade, where it was uh, the Spawn Blade. The Spawn Blade, yes. Ah, unfortunately, we will. You, I, I can say we'll not be seeing the Spawn Blade. I can't say that we will never be seeing the Spawn Blade. That's um, but we have uh, we have some some new designs on. Uh, it, they worked. They factored into into the factored into the jumpstart kit and they um continue into the core rulebook i'm very excited with generally how melee weapons work now because of this really interesting sort of uh very like anti-armor kind of setup and we've been able to talk about uh poisoning blades in the core book which is particularly exciting can't talk about it too much but um it's it's a very interesting option because you can do you can do poison blades you can do poison arrows stuff like that that'll be fun and that'll be a lot of fun uh what about um since it is 20 years in the future 
the progression of both cybernetics because it, cyberpunk and bio uh, implementations. Because I know a big fan favorite was the Bone Blades, where people like to be Wolverine, things of that sort, to uh, Hammer Fists and things of that sort. What type of new, interesting concepts have you guys been building up over there? So we're we're not touched we're not touching on uh, bio quite yet. We wanted to stick mostly to uh, to the cyberware in the core book, um, but I think we may have some some plans in the future. Um, a lot of a lot of the cyberware is moving forward. Um, a lot of the sort of previous cyberware concepts. Uh, into the the new system and in some places sort of developing them, you know, in that like developing them slightly further than they were in 2020. Um, it's, hmm. I think the, the, the major point is that we've sort of focused on uh is necessarily speed and speed of play, but like ease of play. Um, it's very, it's very. You have a lot of options to go at things. We have stuff like I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about this, but we've got stuff like um, you could we have uh, like deployable riot shields and cyber arms, and uh, the the classic pop up guns of various forms, pop up blades, stuff like that. And I um. Think, uh... I think Jay also mentioned we're going to see the return of uh, uh, injecting roller skate blades out of your feet and things like that from 2020. Yes, we will have skate feet because you got to have skate feet. You, you got to have skate feet. Uh, it's a shame to hear about bio. Uh, I was I was always the lover of that type of darker, twisted side of cyberpunk where people just mutate themselves. Just because it's... Just because it's not the core book doesn't mean we'll never have it. Exactly. We gotta, we gotta have some things for future books. <laughs> I think it was, I think it wasn't even implemented until like Chromebook too. So even then, it took a little while. So it's understandable. Yeah. But uh, with the story as it goes, will we be seeing? Because uh, I know you had a quest line. You have the jumpstart, uh, the apartment, which a lot of people have been playing now, yeah. and. Uh, things of that sort. What is, uh, is there going to be any solid quest lines that people are going to be able to play right out of the core rule book or will it just be homebrew games right off the start? Um, so we will have a, uh, we will have an adventure at the back of the core book, um, which I can't talk a whole lot about, but it kind of deals with the, uh, it has an interesting sort of story thread relating to the, uh, the end of the um, end of the Corp War in 2020, um, sort of some legacy stuff there. So there will be an adventure in the back of the book, which could definitely lead into um, a whole campaign if you wanted to build out from that adventure. That's cool. And uh, will the core rulebook, um, obviously you can't say a lot on this adventure, but will it start you in night city or will it start you in another part of the uh the cyberpunk world um i believe it will start you in night city from what i recall um but it takes you uh it takes you 
out of the city uh, towards some of the, not like entirely undiscovered parts, but some of the area outside of the city and the reclaimed zones. Uh, so that gets me thinking of possible nomad interactions and things of that sort, which uh, gets me we're actually We're actually very excited because... Um, way one of the big side effects of of sort of the change from 2020 to red is that there are a lot more sections of the world around night city being reclaimed there are a lot of things to go find outside of night city you know with areas like the pacifica confed in the north uh, there are sort of like there's a lot more reason for you to go other places and it gives a lot more you know, there was there there was a legitimate problem in a lot of in a lot of games, playing a nomad and not you know going outside of the city, you know, not always being able to take advantage of you know your your family or of your your vehicle skill. But there's a lot of stuff sort of in this sort of expanding sense in red that makes nomads a lot. I don't say more useful, but it gives them a lot more to play with. And their uh, their special ability, um, which I think we've talked about previously, we we talked about in in updates, allows them to uh, to to build up a custom or a custom or multiple custom vehicles to uh, to uh, drive or pilot in some cases. That's so. Uh, the return of gyro vehicles will make a comeback then. I believe so. Yes. That's that's great. I know a uh, my partner who couldn't be. He was a nomad and he uh, he loved his gyro vehicles. So, um, going back, will we be able to? And I know this is a balancing issue, but will we be able to use? And this has been a question that has been asked by a, a little bit of our community. Will we be able to use past supplements and carry them into kind of like the London book and some other parts of the cyberpunk world? Will we be able to use those for destinations? Um, I would say, so, so as far as lore and destination wise, I think largely you, you should be able to, um, we, Work really hard to make sure that the game is as as sort of uh, you know backwards compatible as as we could. Well, elements of the system have changed. We have a section in there about how to bring your favorite guns from twenty twenty forward into red as much as possible. You know, keeping in mind that parts of the system have changed. Um, but yeah, I would say that you can you can carry forward a lot of stuff from twenty twenty into red. Um, and definitely, I think lore-wise, pretty much straight across. Um, yeah, as far as I as far as I have seen, that's very very good news because a lot of those supplements were a lot of really interesting places, and I know uh, you guys uh, have been releasing a lot of the books for free through Drive Through RPG. So a lot of people are just now starting to get their hands on supplements like the Boring Horse and things like that so i'm pretty sure they would want to try those out as because they are amazing stories for uh for their groups um i think the last topic i really wanted to talk with you is uh uh i know lisa was one of the main minds behind the gangs of 2020 Mm -hmm. uh what type of gangs 
uh, returning and new will we be seeing uh, inhabiting the world? So we have um, a lot of the gangs that we saw in 2020 carry forward. Um, the, uh, we have the Bozos. We have um, a few of... Oh, I'm blanking on the names. We have a few of the sort of uh, heavy cybernetic gangs. Uh, we're also bringing in... Um, few new ones including um some of some of the ones we talked about in the um in the encounter tables in the jumpstart kit some new groups of of nomads um a a sort of more cult-based gang uh that i believe were called the reckoners uh, who are all focused around basically the uh the the time of the red and the sort of end of the corporate war being a big sort of uh not exactly apocalypse type scenario, but you know, a, a, a focus of their cult sort of thing. Um, we're going to be diving a lot more into gangs a little later in other books, but we have some some core information on some of the some of the core groups that you'll be running across in the city. I believe in the world section. All right. Uh, will we be seeing any? Of course, the maelstrom will be there. Like big key features from, like you said uh, bozos and such will we be seeing any uh newer gangs from 2077 coming in like voodoo boys or the animals uh, i know they were in 2020 but will we be seeing any 2077 gangs starting to appear in uh the will we're we're still um we're uh, we're still like thirty four years off from from uh, seventy seven, but we will start seeing some of the uh, some of the sort of precursors to some of those gangs and some of the uh, the sort of setup that leads to those gangs. All right. Well, yeah, that makes sense because uh, Pacifica hasn't fallen yet and things of that yeah. sort. So, very very cool stuff. Um, so before we head off, I'm pretty sure a lot of people want to personally thank all of you for reworking net running. Uh, what was your biggest, uh, <laughs> yeah. I personally want to thank you for reworking net running. Cause, uh, Lord knowing that gave a, a decent bit of people headaches. What was your biggest challenge reworking <sighs> that system? Um, I think I, I work with James and Mike on on net running a bit. Um, a lot of that work was was done by uh, by by James, and it was it was a Herculean task. Um, it was I think the hardest part was trying to take you know, what had been sort of a core core system in the previous game in 2020. And trying to kind of simultaneously make it now fit the lore, because of course the the architecture of net running changed after the fourth corporate war and became a lot more personal, um, while also trying to boil down experience into something that could be played not as a mini game but as part of the game. Uh, it was trying to make sure that it still felt like net running, while not being, you know, 
you completely separate from the rest of the party while the party, you know, waits for you to finish your net run or whatever, or you sitting on your couch in the apartment while the rest of the group is on the, is on the ground, you know, in the base or, you know, workshop or wherever they are. I was just trying to kind of, trying to distill it down and keep as much of the soul of net running as we could. And, uh, like I said, a lot of people are very happy that it's uh, gotten the very much face facelift that it's needed. When you were uh, when you were playing with your dad as a kid or anything, did you ever attempt net running through twenty twenty? No, I played a solo. You always played a solo. In always, I was I was I was in a few I was in a few cyberpunk games, but the the one that always stands out to me, I was a solo. All right. Uh, uh, I'm afraid that. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, no. I'm afraid that, uh, like, even for me, net running was was it was one of those things that, like, if you were really into it, you could do it. But it was definitely like an investment, you know. Oh, definitely. Uh, what are the favorite games that are played in your household besides the games that you've made? Uh, Gosh, Pathfinder or other major systems. So, um, my wife and I played played Pathfinder First Edition for a very very long time, um, and I got I got Mike and Lisa into into a few Pathfinder games, um, and that has been that has been a big one. I know um, I've been running a, a I've been running Mask of Narlatep. Uh, for for Mike Lee and a few of our friends, um, I think I think Mike Mike right now is uh, is checking out the um, the um, Lord of Mars role playing game. Okay. Um, I've I've not heard a lot on that front, but I, I think he'd started up a game of that. All right. Yeah. Yeah, playing RuneQuest right now with my with my current group. Uh, RuneQuest is always a classic uh, for us. It's uh, Pathfinder, Deadlands, and Warhammer. So all good choices. Oh, definitely, definitely. Which, which Warhammer is it? We're doing Rogue Trader. Although a okay. big core group of us are big into the actual tabletop, so Warhammer Eighth. Ah. Uh, so uh, all of us. Okay. Are, yeah. Like I said, I'm still in the midst of uh, working on the new Adeptus Mechanicus models that are coming out. So, oh yeah, like these guys, nice. These guys are gnarly to uh, assemble and paint. So, but <laughs> I can uh, imagine getting off topic. Uh, now that you guys have done the year, and I know this is uh, Jay has been doing a lot of tweets on Castle Frankenstein. Is that going to be leading up? Castle Frankenstein. My apologies. Any uh, Falkenstein. Any big news coming on that front, or is that just uh, bringing new life into the game? I can't. I can't exactly speak to that at the moment. But what we wanted to, you know, we wanted to give love to Falkenstein because um, it's been a uh, it's been a great a great system and a great franchise that a lot of people really adore. So we wanted to kind of, as we are bringing forward Cyberpunk and continue to do Witcher, we wanted to kind of bring forward Falkenstein 
kind of get some old, get some love for it, you know, reach out to the people who have been fans of it for a long time, bring some new people in. Um, I can't officially say that we have any plans for it, but I personally would love to, to, to do some, some new, some new, uh, books for it. It would be interesting to, uh, see a lot of your older books get newer love, including newer supplements or things of that sort. Um, yeah, it's always a fun drunk night to go and, uh, get drunk and play kids from outer space and things of that sort. (laughs) Perfect. Yes. And, uh, well, I think we're pretty much there. I think we're going to wrap it up. Thank you very much, Cody, for uh, coming out and spending some time with me today. It, uh, it has Thank you for having me. It has been an absolute fun. Uh, Cyberpunk Red coming down the line, hopefully soon, sooner than later. Uh, but And uh, we have The Witcher, uh, Guide of the Witcher, coming late, mid this month to late this month. All right. Thank you very much, everybody, and we will see you all later.